The Doctor and Mel win a tour to 1959 Disneyland, but when they are accidentally thrown off course by a rogue satellite, they find themselves in a Welsh holiday park. Things are further complicated when a passenger is a Chiron queen called Delta, who's being pursued by the Bannermen, who wish her species extinct. Can the Doctor and Mel stop the genocide before it is too late? This is Delta and the Bannermen. Welcome to Regenerated. accepted signal for truth throughout the civilized universe. You may think that might is right, but I can assure you, you won't get away with it. Who will stop me? You, with your puny flag, your appeals to fair play and justice, huh? <laughs> Spit on your justice. Your charm is only matched by your compassion. Why should I not kill you right now? Because you're in enough trouble already, Gavrock. Release those prisoners, and I will testify that you showed some mercy. <laughs> testify? You'll never get me to trial. We agree to differ. But you should know that Delta has sworn a statement alleging invasion and genocide of the Shimmerans. You will be brought to account, Gavrock, and made to pay for your actions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Regenerated. My name's Matt, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful wife, Becky. Hi. And this week, we've got Serial 3 of Season 24. It's Delta and the Bannerman. Or is it Echo and the Bunnyman? You're an idiot. Well, it's very close, isn't it, Becky? I I think they probably got their inspiration for the name from that band. What's it, band? Group? Whatever they are. Um, Do you even know what Echo and the Bunnyman even did? Name a song. No, I don't. I just know Echo and the Bunnyman. I've looked into it. No, they weren't a 1950s band. They were actually a 1980s band. So, Well, duh. Well, I was just saying for the listeners and for my own thoughts. Uh, how do you not know Echo and the Bunnymen are actually basically one the class as a rock band for a start? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're actually performing in the, um, this year as well. Oh, right. So they're still around um, as yeah. well. So. But yeah, it's very similar. The name of this serial is very similar to that. So obviously, that's where they got inspiration. But no, they're a 1980s band, not a 1950s band, because that's where the setting is for this serial is in the 50s. So um, there's no real news or anything to catch <laughs> up. So. Funnily enough, they're actually playing here on the 2nd of March. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I'll be going to that one. To not- be honest, I don't even know any of the songs, to be fair. So yes, there's no there's no real Doctor Who news or anything this this time. So we'll just jump straight into this one. So Delta and the Bannerman, it was uh, broadcast on the second to the sixteenth of November eighty seven. The they said between nineteen eighty and nineteen ninety eight, there were six top ten albums and three top ten singles. Yeah, I don't even know none of them. Well, there's probably a band where you, if you heard their songs, you'd be like, oh, it's that one. Yeah, more than likely. So, 
So yeah, second to the sixteenth of November, eighty-seven. Although three started, episodes, three episodes. Although I started thinking of the Echo Beach song, but then that's nothing to do with them. That's like Martha and something. No, it's not. Uh, written by uh, Malcolm Co- Cohill. Cohill. I don't know how you say it. It's it's, a, it's missing. It's missing a vowel in there because it's spelt K O H L L. Well. The writer, Malcolm, I think it's Cohell, Hill, how? I don't know, probably Welsh or something. So this is his only serial, although he did do the novelisation for this one. And it was directed by Chris Clow, and he's done a couple now. He's done The Terror of the Vervoids, The Ultimate Foe, and this is his uh, next one. Uh, In the poll, it's a little bit higher than last week's Paradise Towers. Paradise Towers coming at 230 at 241. This one coming at 217. So it's a little bit higher. Um, Although all of the first, uh, Sylvester McCoy's first uh, season are all under 200 or over 200, whatever way you look at it. So, yeah, the season's got really panned, I found, by the poll. But actually... I'll go on the record and say I actually quite like Delta and the Bannerman. I think it's the first time I've really seen it all the way through. I've seen like the first episode and then probably didn't stick it out. Uh, mm. But I actually quite, it was all right. It's the be- I think it's the best serial we've seen in this season so far. Um, mm. And we've got one more to go next time. But uh, yeah, I actually quite liked it. But I've got a question for you, Becky. Have you gone, have you ever been to Shangri-La? No. Oh, no. So it's based on like the series based on like the art. It had very much C like. So one, it's like a holiday camp in the fifties in Wales. Yeah. And two, I've never even been to Wales, which m- my nanny will probably sit there shaking her head, tatting at me because a lot of our family comes from Wales. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> she has, my mum has, but have I? No. It screamed. Very... Although my nanny taught me a bit of Welsh once, so. It screamed very much uh, Heidi High for me, this one. Yeah, I kind of got that vibe, especially with the yellow striped blazers. Uh, For listeners that aren't familiar with Heidi High... Watch it. (laughs) Would you you like to tell the listeners what what Heidi High is? Well, it's on a holiday camp, isn't it? Yeah, it's based on like a 1950s sort of chalet... Sort of holiday camp, well, yeah, but a Butlins. bit like Butlands. They sort of wear yellow coats. I don't know because basically I've never been to Butlands, so I wouldn't know. You know, with us, it was more of self catering sort of stuff rather than like all inclusives. I'm not sh- really sure what the international equivalent is. If um, I don't that's know, not, if there's... that's not like Haven. Haven's more self catering mixed with something yeah, like I Butlands. Don't, but... I don't know if there's an American equivalent of this. I don't know. Uh, Dirty Dancing springs to mind. Okay. Is there anything I can think of? Yeah, well, that's kind of like a summer camp. Maybe that's kind of more of a thing. Yeah. Maybe like the 1950s well, yeah, summer camp. yeah, because that was kind of based in the 50s, 60s sort of era. Yeah, so Delta and the so, Bannerman uh, boarding a nostalgia tour bus, the Doctor and Mel go for a holiday. They will soon learn that their fellow passenger, Delta, is a... Com- yeah, but a lot, I think a lot of those holiday camps promote mingling, and you are very anti-mingling. So, you know, you're very anti-social when it comes to, like, talking mm. to other people on holiday. Like, when I was a kid, you know, we all, like, were in this one square, but we stayed in what was my uncle's um, chalet, yeah. which he owned, and... Um, there was like this big square sort of thing, and because all the kids would run out and play like games in the square of, on the green, you know, all the parents would then sort of get together and talk. But you're very anti that. So yes, I am. You're very much, you know, sort of stay on your own and <laughs> not mingle. 
Yeah. So. And that was before COVID times. They will soon. You know? They will soon learn, fellow passenger. Delta Matt's is very a anti-social. Chime, <laughs> Chimeron Queen fleeing from the Bannerman who wished to make her species extinct. Me, I could start a conversation with myself. Okay. You, however. Can I just go through the synopsis, please, babe? Then we'll, then we'll get on to it. Because I feel like I'm stopping and starting it. So I'm going to have to go right back to the beginning and start again. No mind, you'll live. Anyway, I'll, I'll do the whole thing and then, we can, then we'll get into it. Mm. Anyway, boarding a nostalgia tour bus, the Doctor and Mel go for holiday. They will soon learn that their fellow pastor Delta is a Chimeron queen fleeing from the Bannerman who wished to make a species extinct. Thus, the time traveller's trip to Shangri-La returns into a battle against genocide. You said extinct. 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 Well, I was trying to get the flow. But the thing is, though, I don't know whether... My nanny's the same, though. She can literally start a conversation with anyone. You Mm. know? It's... But then, you know, it's kind of like... So I don't know if that comes from Welsh roots or something. You know? But you're more kind of, like, reserved and... Like, keeping yourself to yourself. Yeah. You so, know, yeah, but so. I, I was all you know when I when I grew up, I grew up you know, in a close, so everyone knew everyone, everyone knew everyone's business. You know, it was literally you fart and someone bloody knew about it across I the think, way. I think the listeners have got the gist now, Becky, that you like to talk. Well, yeah, I get. That. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, it's the sort of like era we're kind of brought up in, where everyone kind of had a sense of community. And, you know, we kind of briefly got that back during COVID times where everyone was like all about helping each other. And then it's like since everyone thinks COVID's disappeared, mm. everyone's like, well, well, sod you, you're on your own. Yeah. You know, and that's like this whole, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and something like that. It's just like, yeah, but you don't have that sense of community like you used to anymore. See, what what the listeners don't know, Becky, is that if I don't cut you off, our episodes would be like two hours long. <laughs> You're because funny. once you get going, there's no stopping you. You probably edit most of it anyway. I don't know. I but don't. I very rarely edit these podcasts now. But the thing is, which maybe I should do, but I think it's it's better to have a more raw episode. Well, yeah, I just you know, I I just think you know, it's very. It was kind of something that kind of got me really because, like, with all them chalets, they're so close together and they're like pretty much you know you write on each other's sort of you know. Literally, you could probably hear through them walls if people are at it, you know. So, or if they're having a Barney or something like that. This is the 1950s, <laughs> Becky. They weren't at it. <laughs> Come off it. It wasn't yet the swinging 60s. So uh, People were still procreating in bloody in the 50s. And two, you know, it's just like, you know, you knew everyone's business. You knew if someone had a Barney, you know, you knew exactly what it was about. You know, you're probably up against the blooming wall with a glass or something, you know. Yeah. But... What that's the thing, just like you curtain twitching, really. But it's just you know, it's just like a conversation I was having with my mum about the sense of you know everyone was on this like group, like community group for COVID and everything, and then all of a sudden, as soon as it disappeared, everyone was just you came out of it because it was just being filled with spam and that sort of stuff. And it's like you know everyone was willing to help each other during COVID and how it bring that sort of sense of community back that had been lost and then all of a sudden it was like well actually you're on your own sod off mm-hmm. yes this, this, this is still know, this is still a doctor who think... podcast and we are still talking about delta and the bannerman but but he's yeah, going on one of her get... little no i'm just saying that a sense things. of community could have come back with that 
But then it's like as soon mm. as they think COVID disappeared, so did the sense of community again. It is what it is. Anyway, part one, Becky, uh, on the planet of Chimera, the Chimerons are being killed. The Bannerman gunning them down. Gavrock orders them to take no prisoners. So Gavrock is played by Donald Henderson. No um, idea. Exactly, no idea. Um, <laughs> although he has been in one other thing that I have watched, and probably other things, but I just haven't noticed it. But I have what I've seen him actually in Do- uh, Red Dwarf. He was in an episode of Red Dwarf. That's about the only thing he played a, a simulant in season seven. That's about All the right. only other thing that I think I've seen him in. I've probably seen him in something else, but. I can't really remember anyway. The the Chimerons resist, but to no avail. Only Delta and a single male Chimeron are left. Now, she's like sort of humanoid with human flesh tones, whereas the single male uh, Chimeron, he's like basically looks like one of the um, the soldiers out of Toy Story. The sort of green sort of toy soldiers. He looks yeah. exactly like that. With look like except it's. They didn't look like they had helmets on. They looked like they had like a sort of letter strapped to their head. Mm. So it I'm was, guessing because it was so tight, you know. I'm guessing the male Chimerons are green, and the females are just like normal no, skin color. I, don't, color. Think, I no. don't really understand I think why as, she's I not think green. That's more like um, you know, like worker bees and queen bees sort of thing. Yes, there is that, that analogy get, in this, this season, the cereal. Because it's like if you're like royalty, then that's like you're like them maybe and if you're basically not then you're green mm, maybe because that's like when she kind of had like the baby thing come out of the pod which we'll get to yeah we'll get to that, that. just looked mm. really blimmin' weird yeah and looked like something that you know some monster had kind of thrown up after trying to read it mm. and Looks proper creepy, but that's kind of funny how it went from green to like you know. Yeah, we will get on royalty, and we will it get went onto that. that look a lot less green when we get to it. So they make a break for the Bannerman ship. Gavrock is waiting on board. He shoots the male and is about to kill Delta when the male shoots Gavrock. And basically, a last well, desperate attempt. I just think that's fine. Funny that how when it grow when they grow, you know, they kind of like have these clothes like pre sort of on them rather than having to make them or buy them. Mm. It's like, well, I pity kids can't come with that because that would save you so much better money. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so Gavrock's injured. He falls out of the craft and before dying, the male tells Delta to take a mysterious object and Delta takes off in the craft. Well, not everyone can be like the Simpsons and never change their clothes in like 30 years. Mm. So the TARDIS then lands at Tollport G715 where the Doctor and Mel are welcomed by the Tollmaster who is played by Ken Dodd. Oh, sorry, they change their clothes when they go to church. So yes, Ken Dodd played the Tollmaster. He was kind of like more popular in sort of the eighties. Um, so not really know. my cup of tea with comedy. He's kind of more tongue in cheek. I don't even know um, who he is. But yeah, that basically who is who played the Tollmaster. They discover. I have no idea who Ken Dodd even is. They discover they are the ten ten billionth customers and get free parking and passes for a fabulous fifties tour. A whole week in nineteen fifty nine Disneyland Earth conducted by Nostalgia Tours. And there's like a group yeah, of like but a party. You know, right. When there's people already in Wales, right, you know somehow that's not gonna get to Disneyland. Yes. So uh, there is like a a party of uh, Navarinos, I think that's how they're pronounced, who basically are going for like this transformation arc to appear human, but they're kind of like um, 
sort of like a, an octopus tentacle. It kind of looks like that with suckers and stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there is obviously the whole gist of this is that they get on this bus, which is like basically a spaceship, but it's made to look like 1950s bus. There's a subplot with these two American CIA agents with this um, satellite. But to be fair, you could take them two CIA agents out of this story and it wouldn't make no difference. I don't think, I don't really understand why they're put into it. Maybe it's just plot filler. But they're not really worth mentioning because they don't really contribute anything to the plot. Um, so the only sort of mention of their, their plot is basically they're trying to sort of babysit this kind of satellite thing, track this satellite, which has just been launched. And it's the satellite, really, that uh, collides with this spaceship bus thing, which is carrying the crew to 1950s Disneyland. That basically throws them off course, and they end up that they uh, end up crash landing in basically Wales, and they arrive at this, uh, like you said, like this holiday chalet park, which is called Shangri-La, uh, where they are greeted by the camp leader who's Burton uh, who basically mistakes them for a bus of people who basically attended to stay there so they decide to stay at the camp until the bus is fixed the group assigned rooms or chalets with Delta and Mel in one the doctor and Murray who's like um the leader of the the party on the tour Did bus Do you know do you even know what Shangri-La is Isn't it like an Indian heaven Actually, it's a mythical land, basically, and a fictional account of a Tibetan paradise. Yeah, so. Which was written by someone called James Hilton. Yeah. However, Shangri La actually um, is a name of a five star hotel in London. Mm. Near yes. the, um, it's actually at the Shard. Yep. So the Doctor and Murray, who's the leader of the Navarino, knew I did that somewhere before. They meet Billy, who's like a resident mechanic, who becomes kind of a focal point for some of the story. He offers to help them repair the bus. Although the the Shangri-La group actually has over a hundred hotels at seventy-eight destinations, including real estate, investment properties, restaurants, and bars. Thanks. Death by statistics there from Becky. Uh, the trio pull the embedded satellite from the large dent in the best front. The Doctor enters the TARDIS and emerges with the Quarp. It's not Quartz, it's Quarp crystal. The only one this side of the Savatel Nebula. The crystal is needed to fix the bus. Billy removes the old one and the Doctor gives Murray the new one. A friend of Billy's, Ray, arrives. Um, she hands Murray a tool and tells the Doctor she always carries them to be prepared. Murray is installing the crystal when he breaks it. The Doctor tells him he can accelerate growth in the TARDIS, thermo booster and grow Although, a crystal in actually, 24 hours. Ray tells them, uh, tells them of a dance later and they agree to attend. There's actually one here, but it's not a hotel. It's actually just... Um, Hair and beauty place. Oh, okay. Offers massages and stuff. Somehow I don't think I'll be going there. There's also one that's actually now a housing development. Mm. So Ray. Ray's quite an interesting character. Uh, There's a little bit of trivia behind it. Basically, Ray, because obviously Bonnie Langford is now getting to the end of her tenure as a companion. She's short and sweet. She's not really there for very long. We are then going to go into 
to get Ace uh, in the next serial. But there was rumours and talks of Ray being the companion for the Doctor. But obviously Bonnie Langford then stayed for another um, season, uh, serial. And Ray, the actress who played Ray, she had a conflict, scheduling conflicts, so she couldn't become the companion. But that's just a nice little bit of trivia. Um, in their room, Delta is frightened by a loud noise. Mel, whom she who she pulls a gun on, tells her it's the dinner gong. Mel moves to leave. She tells Delta she can be trusted and goes to dinner. Delta opens a mysterious object, revealing a strange-looking sphere within. Um, basically, then we flick back to the, where the toll port is, where the Bannerman and Gavrock question the toll master. They're basically in pursuit of Delta. They obviously then get instructed where they've kind of gone. Um roundabout where they've gone they, have, they don't get told the year but they get told that they're going to disney world and stuff like that but they're unbeknownst to the party there is actually a spy in the midst and he's kind of tracking delta and he's the one who informs gavrock of where they are with this like little be beacon um there's not really much to do really until sort of um like say the end where they um, say in their room, Delta thanks Mel for being kind to her and tells her that there is something she should know. They turn as the sphere breaks and a green alien emerges, which is what Becky said earlier. And I gotta admit, it does look like sort of a sort of green skeleton, basically, or sort of like green sort of weird thing. Um, the effect's all right. I wish they'd used it a bit more because then it would have been more alien, but. It's not really used for very much. You see it kind of one and it's done. Anyway, uh, Mel screams. In the st in the storage room, the mercenary finds the Doctor and Ray and prepares to kill them, declaring he kills for money and enjoyment. He knows who the Doctor is and takes joy in the prize he will get for taking out the legendary Time Lord. And that's the end. Uh, and that's where he's got his like, walkie-talkie thing. He's talking to Gavrock and they sort of hone in. On board his graph, Gavrock tells the pilot to arm the beacon hunter. He fires it and... Keeler, I think is how you say it, is ionized. The blast knocks Doctor and Ray unconscious. Billy arrives at Delta's and Mel's room. He enters to find Delta cradling the green alien. She invites him in. Um, there's also a bit about bees, but that's not really anything either. I think that's a subplot as well. That's not really anything to do mm. with the, the plot. Uh, the Doctor wakes in time to see them uh, deceive to see uh, Billy and Delta sort of drive away in his motorcycle and sidecar with a baby he returns to wake ray and explains the beacon was detonated by the bannerman to kill the mercenary the pair return to find mel and asks where billy and delta have gone but mel doesn't know he t uh, tells her they need to evacuate the camp and mel agrees to tell murray to get the tour par uh, party out so they need to evacuate because the bannerman are coming they drive around a little bit they find basically Billy and Delta at this sort of river where this baby is getting bigger and bigger. It's got like accelerated growth, she says, in this stage because they do that sort of like alien sort of baby effect. And then the next scene you see it's a baby in a sort of baby grow. Is that what we'd say, Becky? Is it like a baby grow? Sort of, yeah. It's obviously it's supposed to be costume, but it's more of a baby sort of grow with a sort of hood and they paint the baby's face green i think it's the worst effect i think i've seen for quite well, a while funny how it goes from that to just you know from the original thing to then it's like right you spent the budget with that you know now we'll just stick a baby in a baby grow and paint the face green mm, yes you know so uh billy delta and the child they're basically at the river the 
the the doctor and ray basically go searching for him on this little like moped thingy they find him on board his craft gavrock sort of regrets destroying that beacon because they were honing in on that but basically he just scans the area and hones in that way um the uh the crystal basically becomes ready and murray installs it into the uh the coach uh, Delta is feeding the baby this sort of like syringe full of green stuff, which is kind of like uh, energy, food. To well, try but to... it looks like it's a green version of cowpole. Yeah, basically. And she tells Bell- Billy she needs to, to get to the the brood. Uh, she tells Billy she needs to get to the brood planet where a case can be brought against Gavrock and the Bannerman. Basically genocide really uh the doctor and ray finds them and tells them of the bannerman coming for her they leave for the camp and gavrock finds a high technology technology source um where else are we going so then the very end is that delta picks up a signal from garen bees telling her to come gone gone agrees to shelter delta and the child the the doctor borrows Billy's bike and a pillowcase white frag. He rides to where the Bannerman are stationed, which is at the camp now. Now that it's been evacuated, so uh, Gavrock is now and his Bannerman are sort of stationed at the camp. Uh, the doctor then comes on this like uh, motorbike and sidecar with like the sort of surrender flag uh, where. Mel and Burton, they've also, in the meantime, they got captured by Gavrock as well. And also Gavrock put this little thing on the TARDIS as well, which is like a cone of like a uh, force field thing that if Sonic. you... Yeah, if you sort of go in it, then you basically end up getting vaporised. Uh, the Bannermen end up releasing Mel and Burton after the Doctor has talked to Gavrock. As the trio prepared to leave, the Bannermen take aim at them. The Doctor wonders if actually he may have gone a little bit too far this time. And then the final part, because it's only a three-parter, is the Doctor and Mel and Burton leave on Billy's motorbike, the white flag flying from it. Gavrock fires a flare gun into the sky. The two Bannermen guarding the Americans use a metal bar to chain the pair together, which this this bit I thought was absolutely ridiculous. They put this sort of sort of neck clamped together thing. So it's like a sort of version of stocks, really. Yeah, and basically they then leave, the Bannermen leave leaving the two Americans there, only for them, Ray, to literally quickly appear and use a little Allen key to free them. And I thought, what's the point of chaining them up for them just literally for two seconds just to have them basically released moments later? Anyway, it's ridiculous. Anyway, the former guards fire a tracking dart at Billy's bike as the doctor drives past. Um... Uh, at the sort of the Welsh the Welsh guy who's got the bees at his sort of place Delta is telling Billy that soon the child will grow again she's feeding her Chimron jelly to speed her growth Ray brings the two Americans to the house again this is just there is no plot with these two Americans uh, when no one's looking Billy takes a packet of jelly the Bannerman guard to return to the find the Americans gone. They report this and this successful tracking of the bike to Gavron and are ordered to follow the signal. Uh, let's see. The um, two two guards, they arrive at the house where Delta and Billy are. Uh, the Chimron gra- uh, child grows again and emits a loud piercing noise that shattered windows and sends the Bannerman into disarray because... There's like they have like two tones, I think it is. I think they they sort of one they recognise as like sort of a singing, and the other one is kind of like a distress alarm. 
Uh, and Delta says that once the child grows to a certain point, they will be able to control the both of them, mm-hmm. which I think filters into the end. Um, Delta shoots and kills one of the guards. The other one escapes. The Bannerman ships land in a field where the Doctor placed the tracker to throw them off the scent. The Doctor turns on... Uh, I'm not even going to pronounce his name because I'm not anymore. Uh, it's basically the Welshman with the bees is what he's going to be known as. It's basically his radio and places a piece of Delta's The bee clothing. Welshman. Yeah, basically. Under the door and then they leave. The Bannerman find the track of the guards who escaped reports to Gavron, Gavrock that they have a hideout in the Welsh bee hunter's, beekeeper's house. Uh, they go to the house back at the TARDIS. The doctor notices the booby trap. Hawk doesn't believe the doctor and declares he will ring the chief. He reaches out and his hand is burnt by the cone. Hawk is obviously one of the Americans. Um, the Bannerman fires upon the Welshman's house. The doctor declares that if the cone explodes with its full force, it could kill everyone. The Bannerman raids the house. There's honey store, because obviously he's got bees, got lots of honey. The jars fall <laughs> upon them, covering them all in honey, and the bees attack them. Great Delta catches... Okay, don't t- don't tell everyone, Becky. They may all want them. Mm-hmm. Hold your breath and count to a hundred. That doesn't work. Uh, drink a glass of water while sticking your fingers in your ears. That doesn't work either. Um, hang upside down. No, you try and drink water upside down, but that makes a mess. Okay. Anyway, Delta catches Billy eating the jelly, and he tells her that if he is to come with her, he must become a Chimeron. The, the, the bannermen land outside the camp and move to attack. The Doctor and Billy install a speaker on the roof of the camp. The young Chimeron sings into the microphone. The bannermen stumble around and Gavrock falls into the stonic cone to be atomized. Um, they tie up the bannermen while Billy has full, fully changed into a Chimeron. Billy explains that without him changing into a Chimeron, the species can't survive. So Billy's obviously been having this sort of green food stuff so he's changed himself but he doesn't look green that's you saw the males at the beginning the male soldiers they were green he doesn't turn to a green person bit of a um continuity error in my eyes anyway the three shimrons leave in their ship with the bannerman prison prisoners aboard the doctor tells says that Gavrock absorbs so much energy from the sonic cone that is now at power. He then thanks Burton for saving Mel's life. Uh, the Welsh beekeeper, he gives the Doctor a jar of 1928 hibiscus blossom as a parting gift, basically honey. And as Burton welcomes a new bus full of guests, the Doctor gives the Americans their satellite. They thank him, happy that, that they can report success. Don't really know how they can report success, being as the satellite is no longer in the sky, it's now on the ground. But anyway, yeah, so that is basically Delta and the Bannerman. It's okay, it's an alright story, but like I say, without the Americans, it's, it's not re- the beekeeper and the Americans, you don't really need them in the story because it's not really about that. It's more about Delta and obviously the Bannerman tracking her down to try and make her race extinct. That's basically it. And it's basically about nursing the Chimron's baby. That, that's kind of all it is in a nutshell. There isn't really anything else to it. So without the Americans and that, it's, the story still flows. Um, so yeah, that is Delta and the Bannerman. I actually quite like it. I think it's okay. I think it's a um, 
nice flowing story. I think that's because it's a three-parter. I think if it was four, it would be too long. Uh, and I have said before, you know, that sometimes the shorter stories are the better ones because they kind of try to cram in quite a lot of um, quite a lot of content quite yeah. quickly, and the pacing is a lot lot quicker. So I like say I quite like this one. So what do you think of Delta and the Bannerman? Mm, not too bad. Not too bad. I quite like the 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 fifties um, reference. Yeah, and all the music. The music's quite good because there's a lot of like fifties styled music, rock and roll, was, that sort of stuff. Well, it was uh, accurate to say the least. Yeah, and I, the, the look of it. Yeah, the look is quite good as well with the chalet park and like the buttons type theme, like the Heidi High type influence. That's quite an interesting thing as well. And to me, it's it felt like a different Doctor Who. Than like the space travel. Although ones. I am like basically kind of getting used to Sylvester McCoy a bit more, but the problem is with it is now he just looks like a um a very clean shaven Radagast. Yeah, of course, obviously and because he was in the Hobbit when he is one of Radagast. The, uh, the yeah. Yes, Radagast. But the problem is he just looks like a clean showered and well shaven version of Radagast now. So the problem is because everyone else will probably think, oh well, you know. Radagast, you know, pick that up from Doctor Who. Mm. I've gone completely the other way, so to me, he's still Radagast, yeah. rather than Doctor Who. So yeah. I'm kind of trying to like, all right, there's there's slight eccentricities there that are quite similar, and you know, because obviously Radagast is completely stark raving bonkers. Um, you know, he talks to a lot of animals mm. and everything, all sorts of things, but you know. There's kind of a lot of similarities in the eccentricities, but I don't think they look quite there. Yeah, I think, you know, I've said it before, I said Sylvester Corey is not my favourite Doctor, but I do think what he did do... That would be funny if they kind of were to the extreme of Radagast. That'd be hilarious. I think what he has done quite quickly is established his own type of Doctor. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that he in. What I'm saying is it'd be funny, you know, it's like like I said about the eccentricities, you know, they're sort of close, but, you know, if they were dialed up to what Radagast saw, they'd really be quite hilarious. But it's just like subtleties, and the problem is, it's like where he was coming out of all that gobbledygook when he first became the Doctor, and now that's kind of settled down, so he stopped doing it now. And it's mm. just like, well, yeah, but that was kind of one thing I actually liked, yeah. because it was like, Oh, well, he's a bit, you know, Stark Raven. And to be fair, when you've got basically a doctor who's gone through so many regenerations, yeah, his brain's bound to be a bit, you know, kerfuffled. Mm. But I still like that eccentricity. Yeah. And that comes of it. Because to be fair, after this, you know, I've I've never seen Paul McGann, but, you know. Well, he's kind of one and done. Even Christopher Eccleston had a certain level of eccentricity. He was more sort of like the hyper weird guy, let's go running into a path of a Dalek sort of person, mm. you know, and basically completely off his nut. But then you had the kind of whole, like, David Tennant off his nut phase. But then, you know, Matt Smith, you know, that kind of really took a lot of getting used to. But yeah, I think Sylvester McCoy... But then with Peter Capaldi, he definitely brought that back to sort of like Christopher Eccleston off his nut again. Mm. I think Sylvester McCoy obviously is has been said that he's very much like Patrick Troughton. He's the closest to Patrick Troughton than anyone else, but he's he's very different to say Colin Baker and Peter but Davidson. Shi- and Tom but even Shooty Gatwa, even Shooty Gatwa, and what think, we've seen, you know, he's even got some level of eccentricity come become invisible. 
So I don't think you can actually play the doctor unless you're able to display a certain level of eccentricity. I also think it's nice in the serial to see the doctor actually, in a way, let his hair down a little bit because they have a little dance yeah. uh, in the in the evening and he's able to do a bit like Shooty Gatwa did in the Christmas special yeah. where he went out so, you know, he, the Doctor does actually relax. And like I say, I do think Sylvester McCoy has established his Doctor quite quickly. Well, even I though they didn't write for him, yeah. he was able to put his own I get, I get that, actually be able to have a bit trailer. of fun with it. You know, I get that, you know. And as a character is actually able to have fun rather than being so serious and running from death all the time. But yeah, but I think Delta and the Bannerman is definitely the best one we've seen so far because I think Sylvester McCoy is mm. finding finding his feet and I'm wondering if they're now starting to write for him as well. I just think that, you know, maybe a few... I just think this episode's missing the eccentricity. Mm. So, uh, it was originally intended that Sarah Griffiths, who portrayed Ray, would become a companion of the Doctor with Bonnie Langford I leading the show. I could easily see that happening. I kept thinking, mm. well... Is she going to become a companion? Yep. Is she going to become a companion? And things like that. But it was just like, you know, because they kind of worked so well together. You could kind of see it happening. Yeah. And it was like, nah. Yeah, you so know. it says, however, due to filming and airing schedules, Mel would leave in Dragonfire instead, which is the next serial. Um, Sophie okay. Aldridge auditioned for the part of Ray, but instead took the role of Ace, the Doctor's new companion, who we'll see in the next serial. So, yeah, I could see that because, obviously, uh, for the story, Ray has obviously got a thing for Billy, but Billy's mm -hmm. got a thing for Delta. And she's kind oh, of jilted. the unrequited love. Yes, she's kind of jilted and she's kind of in limbo. So you could kind of see that she would have made a good sort of, I don't, I don't want to say good companion because she might have been rubbish, but uh, a good candidate for a companion to join the Doctor because basically there's nothing for her now. Yeah, but you don't really get a Welsh one. No, so, yeah. You know, not till you have like the ones that are working Torchwood and stuff. Mm. So. No. You know, you don't really have any Welsh ones till like they do Torchwood. No, nope. so Mark Campbell's episode. Sort of bit because obviously you have like um Bromwyn. Mm. But apart from that, you don't really have any Welsh ones. No. And maybe I like I love the way Welsh people speak. It's so funny. It sounds like they're singing all the time. Yeah, maybe in the future. So Mark Campbell's episode guide verdict: a confident, simmer. What are you on about? They're already getting rid of Shiri Gatwa's companion already. A confident, simmery musical comedy with violent overtones. Delta, divi Delta divides opinions like no other Doctor Who story, but it's hard not to admire its sheer cheek. She's An eight out of ten. In Ruby Sunday, like only been in like one episode. At the minute. Yeah, and they already basically got rid of her. Already. Yeah, she's. We know she's filmed a season, and they're getting rid of her for season two of the new she's Doctor. She's like, okay, well that was so, short-lived then. Anyway. So, yeah, Mark Campbell's guide, 8 out of 10. Yeah, but I, I like companions that have longevity. Yeah. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, if you're going to have a companion, it's just like, oh, I'm fed up with this crap, I'm off. You know, it's like, well, sorry, you ain't got what it takes in. Well, segueing, 8 out of 10, which I think is apt. I think it's it's kind of up there, 7, 8 times. I don't know, what's so the about longevity and companions that segues into next week's yeah, serial. Yeah, but what I'm saying, right, Dragon is... Fire. Rose, Tyler, went through two Doctors, right? Yeah. Martha Jones didn't last very long, neither did no, It's Donna. all about popularity, but, Becky. you know... Popularity, the actor, actresses... Yeah, but she was with but. Christopher Eccleston for his whole generation, and then basically half of David Tennant. Mm. 
So, so it's just like, you know, it's really frustrating. Yeah, so talking because about apart from longevity and companions, segueing, segueing into next week's Dragonfire because we get Ace, who is basically Ace is with the Doctor until the very end of the classic run. So yeah, this is long. this is the last. We're going into the last companion of the classic era, mm. which is Ace. So we're going through quite a lot of companions. To be fair, I'm glad we're getting rid of uh, the Screamer. Oh, I quite like Mel. I think Bonnie I, Langford's yeah, but, quite good. Bonnie There's Langford is a good that's... actress, yes. And she was brilliant in EastEnders. I loved her in EastEnders, right? But well, so the screaming, the screaming I could do without. You know full well how I feel about the screamers. Yeah, well, they're, they're saying... It's like, the... how can you be a screamer, right? They're saying you for shooting Gatwa's to... season finale, Mel's going to be in it again. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is how can you have... A screamer. But we'll talk you more. Know, we'll talk more about Mel next week. And you're basically like, you've got to be a strong, independent woman. You can't, you know, mm. you can't be a bloody screamer and sit in there pleading damsel in distress all the time. Well, you've got to learn to get yourself out of the crap. We will go through Mel's tenure as a Doctor Who companion next week when and she I leaves. I really, so. it's like, uh, it's like Victoria all over again. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> you know, I'm still having nightmares from that one. So, yeah, we'll discuss that next time when Mel actually leaves. Uh, and that will be in Dragonfire, which will be the next episode. So, I think we'll wrap it up there. Let's say Delta and the Bannerman. I think it's the best one we've seen from Sylvester McCoy. Maybe it's because they're writing for him a bit more now. But I do think it had a nice little flow and pace to it because of the shortness of it. And it kind of, yeah, you could, there was a bit of gumph in it, especially with the Americans and the beekeeper. And I know there's like, a, they're trying to say about like the hive and the queen and all that and sort of making similarities to the sort of the chime rons and stuff like that. But you could have done without it. I don't think you really needed that element of the actual serial, I think. But they needed to fill it, obviously, because if not, it'd be like a 20 minute serial and that'd be it, one episode and done. So that is what it is. So, Anyway, let us know what you thought of Delta and the Bannerman in the comments uh, that's always in the social medias that are always in the description. And uh, let us know what you thought of Delta and the Bannerman. So next time, like I say, it's Dragonfire, where we get rid of one companion and we say hello to another companion, Ace, who I actually have been waiting for because I quite like Ace as a companion. And uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. So I'll say goodbye and say goodbye, Vicky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 